This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by ProFarmer. ProFarmer provides key information to help farmers make profitable decisions. Go to tryprofarmer.com for your free trial today. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Many of us are after bigger yields, but what will it take for the country to average 100 bushel beans and 300 bushel corn? It's a discussion that covers many topics, and we visit with someone who looks at the challenges and possible solutions. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by ProFarmer. Start making confident marketing decisions with ProFarmer. ProFarmer's condensed style is designed to save you time while giving you the important information you need when making those important marketing decisions. And you'll stay on top of profit opportunities with ProFarmer's mobile sell alerts and easy-to-use mobile app. Start a ProFarmer free trial today. Visit tryprofarmer.com. That's tryprofarmer.com. There's a lot that goes into growing a good crop. Seed, genetics, weed control, soil health, nutrients, and much more. Scott Kay is a farm kid who, in some ways, has to take all of those factors and more into consideration as he works with all of agriculture. As vice president of U.S. Agriculture Solutions at BASF, he is constantly evaluating what it will take to do more with less. We focused on the challenges of growing bigger yields in a sustainable and profit-generating way, with an eye to the future. Scott and I covered a lot of ground. Here's our conversation. Scott, BASF, of course, covers so much, and we could go in many different directions. But uh, let's begin here. You know, we always hear about we have to grow more. Uh, we have to do more with less. Give me the general landscape of what you're thinking about, not only BASF, but just the ag industry. How do we begin to get our hands around what we have to accomplish in the next you know, X number of years? Yeah, I think it's, uh, for me, I think we've accomplished a lot in uh, just in the last couple decades in terms of yield production. and But what I really believe is over the next decade, we could accomplish so much more. So um, at BSF, I think, you know, for me, I, I think we're going to need more bushels. You take, take soybeans as an example. I think, you know, if the renewable fuel stories are true and it ends up being similar to ethanol, we're going to want more yield. And, uh, and so at BSF, we're, we're targeting 100 bushel soybeans for the future. On corn, we would say 300 bushels should be our target. If you put that in perspective, some, some, some people might be listening saying, well, I'm at 80. I'm not too far away. The U.S. average is only about 56, 57 bushels this past year. And so if that's the case, we have a long ways to go to get to 100. When you have those types of discussions, how do we get there? Is it better genetics? Is it weed control? Is it uh, the inputs? I'm sure it's all of those things, but how do you begin to break it down? I think we've got to take a page. The soybean growers need to take a page from the corn grower, and that could be the same person, but it's, it's, to, it's to think about more holistic about soybeans and what it would take to, to maximize its yield. And so I think, I think you're going to have to take maybe it's five different steps, fertility, your soil, how do you manage that? But I think it's also looking at your herbicide program. Uh, looking at your fungicides, insecticides, SCN, it's a big yield robber. People don't realize it. it's getting worse going unchecked. The um, 
you know, so I just think it's taking a more comprehensive whole acre holistic approach um, and measuring yourself annually against against a new target. The chemistries are changing, but yet they aren't changing. Walk me through that of what we have to do to uh, do something which BASF is always doing, which is thinking about weed control. Yeah, I think uh, what BSF's always doing is uh, every day your listener goes uh, wakes up, BSF's going to invest $3 million in our research and development. 11 cents of every dollar that we, we bring home, we put back into research and development. That allows us to do a lot of the testing farmers can't do side by side. I think most people are surprised, and I'm surprised that they are, that they're surprised, farmers, um, that being said, is, is that there's four to five resistant traits on nearly every farm. We have two traits in soybeans I'm thinking about today that we're going to have to live with between now and the end of the decade with no new traits that I can see coming and no new herbicide AIs coming to, to solve a new problem. And so I think our management practices, we need to talk more about how do we manage the products that we have so that we don't have another uh, resistance problem. And so that being said, I would say that uh, BSF's investing in more residual herbicides because I think part of our trouble has been uh, as farming is getting bigger and Mother Nature's more extreme is the variability of each application. So to me, I think we're going to have to uh, have more residuals and fewer post applications to really control weeds um, before they get started, before they have a chance to be resistant. How does that fit into the larger discussion we always hear about in agriculture of sustainability? We want to make less passes and we want to do things that are building soil and so forth. How does that interplay within this discussion of being able to control that, whether through residuals or however we may do it? Yeah, I even think we'll, we'll be better off with technology. You know, a smart sprayer, one smart sprayer from BSF, um, I think that's going to be a, a big contributor in the future um, to being more sustainable. But maybe for a different reason than you think. I, I think what that's going to do is really make us mindful of um, not making so many passes. I think some farmers are making three passes. We just don't talk about it. And, and so fewer failures would be a huge plus and I think is what's going to occur uh, with one smart sprayer. Because I would envision you're going to use a residual to start. And then when you make your second pass, yes, it might be really good at spot spraying. But if you have a second tank and a, and a second boom, you also can be putting another residual down so you don't make that third pass. So I think there'll be a lot of savings for farmers in that third pass. And I think uh, controlling weeds earlier and on time will be another huge savings in yield. I'm curious, the discussions that you have now, whether it's existing herbicides or something coming down the road, how do you evaluate new technology coming down the road? Are you then an investor in that, whether it be drones or different types of ground rigs or ways that we can spot spray and so forth? Because this is coming down the road, and it perhaps changes the way that we use the herbicides we have or that may be coming. Yeah, BSF has a has a um, heavy commitment to technology whether that's one smart sprayer, but also Zarvio is something I think more farmers are going to hear about uh, moving forward. And BSS focus on decision-making tools. So how do we start to interact with the crops planted? We know which field it's in. Hopefully we have all the soil. We made all those decisions. But I think that uh, uh, after planting decisions are going to become really important. So BSF is reporting... um, 
spending money investing in that and building algorithms that start to look at uh, 15 years worth of uh, results or um, looking at different weather patterns and tying that to um, results. One way would be, say, say if you had a a fungicide and uh, most people are saying, well, I time that. I always spray at tassel. And um, or in beans, I always spray at R3. And so what we're building are, are, are decision-making tools that might alert you to, but there's disease developing out there now. And so rather than wait two weeks and have lost part of the battle, we're going to have an alert system that says, hey, now's the time. Do you know this is in this environment it's ripe for this disease and start to say farmers, hey. In a couple of cases we've had, um, we've done that. The farmer's gone out and said, well, now's not the time. I'm going to go take a look. And when they get out there, they go, oh, my gosh. That's, that's, I'm, you're two weeks advance when I had planned to put an airplane in there or I planned to spray it myself. And so I think it's going to be those sorts of decision-making tools that really be- benefit farmers in the future. As a farmer myself, I love to think about these things, but I also recognize my limitations, not knowing technology well enough. So how do we help farmers, that, whether it's size or knowledge or maybe the hopefulness that kids come up and know all this stuff, how do you balance that out to be able to help farmers of all locations and sizes be able to take advantage of some of that technology? Yeah, I think, I think, it's, uh, I think it's not overdoing it on the paperwork. I think farmers maybe don't always like to – keep inputting every field, all those sorts of things. So I think it's trying to make it easier to transition season to season. And 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 rather than continue to, to keystroke into a computer or into a mapping system, I think it's going to be once you establish that the crop's been planted, now we're going to let that machine start to do some work for you with saying, Here's here's a time for spraying. Oh my gosh, you might want to go check the fields because it hasn't rained in 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 two months. Or it uh, like I talked about the uh, about the, the disease monitoring or or spray timing. So I think all those sorts of things is have it start to help you make decisions rather than have it make you feel like you have to keep inputting information. How far away are we on some of this? I'm sure you're going to say, well, some of it's already here. But how far away are we on some of this being reality? I think it was Zarvio field manager, it's here. And so I think we can start to really do that. We're only going to get better. And so, but I think that's, uh, that'll be a, something that people are going to really going to see. The other thing is we have a, um, um, uh, a variety selection tool. So you might say, well, everybody knows what their soil types are and what's going to work best. And shouldn't the seed company just tell me? I think though, to, to, to get to those, to get to on the edge of yield, I think, we're going to want to have a tool like this seed select tool that um, that splits that hair for you. It tells you, yep, here's three or four more bushels based on our testing. They would say that you need to, you need to split these fields. It might be easier to have the same variety across a farm, but if you look at a field basis, we think you need to be more selective. And so I think that's that's going to help us too uh, to be more refined in our selection. The conversations you would have out there, I think, would probably be broader than a lot of us as far as looking at the not only the nation but the globe. What is it that farmers need to know that's coming as far as what the consumer is going to demand, what governments are going to demand from a sustainability side, from a reporting side? I'm sure you're thinking about it. What do we need to be thinking about? I, you know, for me, I think there's a couple t- couple areas I would look at that. I say, one, we, we need to have more of our, our local 
um, government officials out to our businesses and farms. And uh, if you haven't had um, someone like that to your to your business or farm, that in 2024 you should make it your goal. Let's let's have some local official or or state official or national if if that's if that's where you are. But um, I would I think that that should be our first thing. Why? Because I think we want to make sure decisions are being made and are grounded in in science and in um, from an agriculture view because today i would say there are challenges out there that aren't very practical you know i think uh, uh, esa managing that uh, endangered species i think you know i think it's it's important that we manage it but i think it's also important that uh, that we do it with a with a real an eye that says, says this is this is what we actually need to manage not that we're trying to just make it difficult for farmers to farm i think that's the that's the real thing we need to do away with and so from my view i think we should be more active um and uh and talking about uh issues that matter to farmers um rather than just hope that no one is hope that someone's representing us i think the other one is um you know we have a future we have a new generation of leaders um every year that are that are either graduating from high school or graduating from college and i think it's going to be really important that we um that, that those of us who have been in agriculture, that we bring them to the farm, bring them to our businesses, that show them um, what a difference they're going to make and how they can shape the future. And so I would say, too, that that's something we all need to keep evaluating is how do we, how do we encourage them to come back uh, and be in agriculture? Certainly they're, uh, they're showing their desire to do that from, from a university standpoint. But uh, and you know if you look at the people involved in FFA and 4-H, um, if you AFA, um, which is a, a college-based uh, program, um, Agriculture Future of America, I think I think that we have the programs. We just need to really um, help those uh, uh, students uh, turn the corner for that to be their career. Do you have trouble recruiting the people that you need? I mean, agriculture is an industry in which we need good young minds, and it seems like we don't always have as many out there that we'd love to have that has that farm and ag knowledge out there. Yeah, I think it's just a continued process. I think it's, uh, um, from that from my perspective, you just need to be doing it all the time. I think it's uh, investing in internship programs. Um, I think it's also looking in a lot of other places um, for students that have a passion for agriculture. And so to me, I think that's the, um, that's been the biggest thing that I've seen probably in the last 10 years is that, man, there's just some brilliant minds out there that aren't from a farm, but they have a passion for agriculture. So we shouldn't, there should be no limitation if you're not, if you're not from a farm, the limitation should be that uh, we want people who are passionate about agriculture. We're talking about there about discussions and having farmers' voice out there. A lot of things going on nationally and globally, talking about climate and so forth. What are the things that are coming down the road that we should be aware of that, you know, we're going to be asked to meet certain standards? Many of us aren't in those discussions at an international level, but I know as where you set, you have to be aware of those. What What is coming? Well, I think, you know, the company I work for has taken a pretty – progressive stance and and wanting to be uh, carbon neutral um, from our from our plants and our production and that sort of thing so I think that that makes me feel good as an employee um, I hopefully our customers feel the same way um, the, I think the next phase is is that um, what can we achieve from a carbon standpoint on, uh, on on certain products and how do we help farmers 
uh, to measure that so that they maybe they get a premium on their on their grain or maybe they um, for their for their whole farm um, have some additional benefits i think I think well in a measurement type of world i think uh there's ways in which we can all benefit each other and and i think there's lots of there's several tools out there that could start to capture that so that uh, farmers could articulate the benefits there's probably some farmers say i wish this carbon thing would go away but i'm betting you're going to say hey it's going to be here and you need to begin to get your arms around it but if you say that how do i begin to get my arms around it and no because there's so much in the marketplace and i think farmers just look at it and say ah i don't have time for it but i probably got to take time for it don't i yeah, you certainly have to take time for it. I don't. I, I don't run so many farmers that wish it go away. I think they. I think we need to demystify it okay. and and start to uh, get farmers more involved in the process. And I think they'll. I think they're going to benefit. You know, whether that's renewable fuels or, uh, you know, I, I would also say that'd be one place I could see where they could start to really benefit even more is renewable fuels. But 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 the but the farm kid in me says. They're already the greatest steward of of the land and have the most at stake for it to be here forever. You know, so I grew up watching my father put terraces on our land, and and maybe maybe not everybody did in this in the community, and so I think, but I think that mindset is uh, is something that uh, farmers have and um, need to get continue to get credit for being proactive. No till. There's a lot of other things that they've done over time that uh, that certainly have uh, contributed to the to the longevity of farming. And so I have no doubt that uh, you know if the practices of carbon um, capture also are uh, are equally beneficial to their to the future of farming, that farmers will adopt those practices as well. Is there any good way for us to gain knowledge or become more knowledgeable in that area, do you think? Because it is something I think I hear a lot of farmers, of course, me included, worth thinking about. And I think we do want to be on the cutting edge of that, but it's sometimes hard for us to know how to be. Yeah, I think, you know, the best sources for me would be go to your local ag retailer. Um, I would I would ask about companies like BSF and, and do they have um, tools that might help me. Um, and then, of, of course, I think you have local extension DNR that uh, can also help with that. Earlier on, we spent most of our time talking about soybeans. I am interested. Do you think that we we spend that time on it because soybeans will continue to be a more important crop? And we think about corn and beans and the balance. Do we begin to lean heavier on beans going forward? Is that going to be uh, become more important, or how do you see it? Uh, I, I I still see your normal rotation based on where you are is probably what will be the most consistent practice. Emerging crops, anything that's on the horizon we should be thinking about there? Because we always think corn, soybeans, maybe a little wheat, small grains, but any other things that we're thinking about in those areas? Uh, interesting question. At, at dinner last night, we were with uh, some some farmers from, from Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, and, and they were talking about people they know uh, in Oklahoma, um, that we're starting to raise canola. And so I, I do think, um, you know, if, if, if we're going to have more, maybe more drier climate in some of those places, get even drier yet, uh, you might see people start to look at canola uh, as, uh, as a crop that uh, they can raise. Certainly we see Canada, you know, co- you know canola is probably their um, U.S. corn comparison. So I think you can see more canola um, in places uh, start, to, uh, start to show itself. 
we sometimes hear about what's going on in Europe, and I know that, of course, you deal with things everywhere. What The things that happen in Europe, how much do they come over here to affect us now, or what things do we need to be top of mind uh, when we consider about uh, some places, things, other things in the globe and how they impact us here at home? Well, I think that uh, part of that being active with your state and local officials um, is is from that too because I think it um, you know I, I think we've we've benefited because we've had a science based regulatory system and uh, USDA has has done that I think it's been uh, a great system and can continue to be that way uh, for the foreseeable future but I think I think we have to be we have to work together we have to be more proactive um, down that front and uh, and make sure that we we continue to take that science based approach. I think if we get away from that, you know, then I think I think we'll get away from farming as we know it. Um, I don't think that benefits. Um, I don't think that benefits the farming community. I don't think that benefits the population. And so farmers continue to do the have the biggest job on earth, and um, and I think they'll they'll rise to the challenges that we face. It's just I think we're just going to have to become even more involved uh, in helping them be successful. In the time we've got left here, let's wind up with talking about some challenges and opportunities. I'm, we'll start with the challenges first, maybe, and end up with the opportunities. Anything that keeps you awake at night or things that are on your mind that say, these are big challenges we've got ahead of us, and, and certainly we think we can tackle them, but these are the things that are on my mind that, yeah, this is, this is the challenge before us. Yeah, I think, I think Mother Nature is at work every day. I think we need to, to manage uh, weed resistance in, in a more enthusiastic way manner and um, rather than trying to be only efficient in our applications meaning well you know it uh, so I think we're going to in order to do that I think we're going to have to to have a much earlier mindset in weed control and uh, be very fearful of of uh, uh, applications that fail and so to me it's already contributing to higher cost on farm that mentality and um and it's contributing in several ways. One, the additional spray cost for failure is higher. And then I think, too, that the, the resistance management is only leading to more and more sophisticated technology that's costing more. And so I think uh, there's, a, there's, there's quite an incentive, I think, for farmers to have a much earlier mindset. On the other side, although certainly there's opportunities born out of challenges, but you're, you're a farm kid, and you, I'm sure you love seeing opportunities. What are the things that make you smile and say, wow, this is something that we get to participate in, and this is a great opportunity for us as agriculture going forward? Yeah, so for me, I think developing new new applications to solve problems for today and tomorrow. So I think, I think about when fungicides and row crops was just something a few people did, now I think it's it should be more widely adopted. I think, um, and so I think utilizing um, performance-driven fungicides should be something farmers are motivated by, um, whether that's protection from disease or environment, um, and to gain the highest yield. I think should be another goal. And so, those are here today. And so, people should be adopting those. Farmers should be adopting. Um, performance-driven fungicides today. I think the other place would be is that we have some of these topics like SCN are real. And so if your listeners haven't tested for it, how how do you know? And so what I continue to be um, encouraged by but also surprised by is that how many more people are testing and how many aren't. And 
85% of those that I know have tested are finding economically um, beneficial thresholds that they should be treating for it. And so to me, I, I don't think in today's environment, not knowing is a, is a good answer or not thinking without testing. So, so technology, think about it, we can test to know if we should make a decision that saves us yield. And so I think it's those kind of decision tools that, uh, that inform how to make the best decision. I think farmers should be trying to do that all the, all the time. Scott, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it as well. Thank you for joining me on this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, or X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, just use those platforms to go back and catch other topics of interest as well. We try to have a variety of guests who provide information impacting many parts of the ag industry and rural America. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by ProFarmer. ProFarmer provides key information to help farmers make profitable decisions. Go to tryprofarmer.com for your free trial today.